The 10-Minute Writers Workshop is supported by Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. Maureen McMurray is here for our appetizer course. Hello, producer Maureen McMurray. Hello, host Virginia Prescott. What literary fun food fact do you have for us today? So today it is courtesy of George Orwell. 1984 has become a big bestseller recently, so I thought we'd go with the the big sellers. Apparently he wrote an essay, um, unpublished, but about how much he despised British cooking. He described it as, quote, barbarous. But there was one staple of British cuisine that he absolutely adored. Mushy peas. Plum pudding. Oh, well, we love him for that. And you know where you can get a lot more than simple plum pudding, Virginia? I'm guessing Blue Apron. Ah, yes. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Because meals don't cook themselves. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash 10 minute. You will love how good it feels and how good it tastes to create incredible, really, I'm going to say impressive, home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So do not wait. That's blueapron.com slash 10 minutes. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This is the 10-Minute Writer's Workshop with Lindy West. And I'm Virginia Prescott. Lindy West is a columnist for The Guardian and author of How to Be a Person and Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman. She writes about feminism and social justice and body image and pop culture, and lately, a whole lot of politics. Lindy West is a funny and original thinker, and she's brave. She's been a contributor on several memorable episodes of This American Life. One about coming out as fat, and in another, she talked about confronting an internet troll, one of hundreds who had harassed her online. She's got a bunch of balls in the air now, a book tour, TV and movie projects, an idea for a podcast. But we honed in on the demands of being a columnist. Those quick turnarounds and deadlines and always an editor waiting for something fresh and interesting. I asked Lindy West about her habits and routines for getting it done and whether she aims for a certain number of writing hours or maybe words each day. Ah, I wish. It's a print column in the UK. So my editors are in London. I'm in Seattle, which is eight hours behind. So my deadline is Tuesday mornings in London, which means Monday at midnight for me. So basically every Monday I wake up, I pitch first thing in the morning, they write back, tell me what they're most interested in. And then I spend the next uh, 12 hours saying, okay, got to get started on the column. Oh, I think people will be relieved to hear this. (laughs) Then around maybe 10 (laughs) p.m., finally the despair sets in and I really buckle down. And then I usually finish around 2 or 3 a.m., a couple hours post-deadline, at which point I'm literally lying horizontal on my couch with the laptop sort of next to my head and my arms in a completely inhuman position, nodding in and out of consciousness and wake up Tuesday morning basically with no recollection of what I wrote. And I hope that it was coherent. (laughs) And weirdly, it is. Wow. So you write in a kind of like um, procrastination blackout. 
Yeah, like a fugue state. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Which, which is harder for you? Is it like getting that first sentence or getting to the last sentence? Yeah, it's just getting started. I, I have to tell myself that that 12 hours, um, my brain is doing something. You know, like right. that 12 hours means something and I'm sort of working internally and figuring out what I want to say because it does often just tumble out very quickly. And, and I and I write in a weird way, like I write chronologically, basically, like I write first sentence to last sentence. I don't map it out. I don't move paragraphs around. I don't do outlines. It's weird. I just start and then I go till it's done. Do you ever try and change that? You know, do you ever think like, okay, this is how it goes. I'm going to just wait until 10 o'clock at night and in panic start writing. No, I struggle against it every single time. (laughs) It's a horrible process. I would say probably five times in the history of my column have I gotten it done during the day on Monday. And it's the most incredible feeling. Like if you could distill that feeling and grind it into a powder I would snort it like I would it's it's the animal if you're writing a column in a day that's tied to the news you only have the amount of time that you have and eventually you have to say okay this might not be my ultimate masterpiece but I have to turn it in and I have to go to sleep so you know you are writing about the news you are writing a column you're writing opinions analysis um, pulling things together which is very different than writing fiction. How is that different for you? I, you know, I've never done it. I have two more books in my head that I wanted, two more nonfiction books, and then I'm definitely starting to turn my gears a little bit about writing writing a novel. Hmm. But um, it's very scary. I don't understand how people do it. It, it seems like uh, some sort of sorcery to me. <laughs> I have to agree with you. I mean, it is terrifying to me. Um, I'm looking at some of the poll quotes from a couple of your recent columns. Uh, Let's see. White nationalists, alt-right, if you see a Nazi, say Nazi. Uh, Bannon's unveiling as Trump's chief strategist is a layer cake of horrors. (laughs) So you're writing stuff that's, that's throwing down the glove for some people. And I wonder about your interaction with people who read your writing. How do you, what is that interaction like? Do you read their comments anymore? Uh, no, I, I avoid interaction. <laughs> you, I know that f- you famously confronted a troll. We heard about that story on This American Life. Sure, yeah. You know, I used to be much more accessible. I made myself very accessible. Most people that bother to come leave you an abusive comment on Twitter or on The Guardian's comment section, their mind is not going to be changed by you arguing with them. But that has an impact on people who are who are silently observing people who are reading. I used to do this a lot on Twitter. If if someone came at me with a with something really abusive or even just a really horrible bad idea, <laughs> you know, a really inept point, I would every once in a while pick one of those people to respond to very publicly. If I can either demolish someone's point or, you know, embarrass them, it becomes clear to other people who might share their bad ideas that that there are consequences to this hobby. I, I'm not just a punching bag. I will sometimes respond and you will not like it and you will be embarrassed because I'm better at this than you. For young writers who are starting out, what are what's some advice or maybe mistakes you made that you could help them avoid? If you can stay a million miles away from every single thing that I said when I described my my method do that. <laughs> don't, don't write like me. Don't write at three in the morning, 
horizontally while crying. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, a thing that I always tell young writers that no one ever told me was that writing jobs exist. You know, people tend to be like, oh, oh, you got an English degree, so you're a barista or whatever. Um, and it's like, you know, first of all, nothing wrong with being a barista, but it, it is not impossible to be a professional writer. There are a million different ways in which you can be a writer. I mean, I started my first real full-time writing job was at a tourist magazine. It's the free magazine that you get in your hotel room. Mm-hmm. It's called Wear Magazine. Oh, right. I've seen it yes, in a million different hotels. Exactly. And I was the editor of the Seattle edition of Wear Magazine, which means that every month uh, I had to write an entire magazine that was essentially the same magazine because it's for tourists. So you have to cover all the same <laughs> material every month. So it's like, oh, the Space Needle is cool this month again. Have you heard of the Space Needle? And I, ha- and I would uh, have to reinvent an article about the Space Needle every month, which was actually kind of a productive exercise. Like it, it really, I think, made me a very fast, very versatile writer. I just feel like there's so much defeatism in this industry where people are like, well, it's impossible to to break in. And it's really not. I, I just I, I want people to, to know that these jobs exist. If you have original ideas, if you know how to construct a sentence, if you turn your work in on time and if you learn how to pitch. How about for you? Like, was there a piece of advice about writing that you got that just stuck with you and made a real difference? I, I remember when I started working on my book and I was just terrified. I ran into Dan Savage on the street and I was talking, I was just chatting with him. And he said, uh, when he's writing a book, he thinks of it as a big chasm open that's opened up in front of him. And he just has to fill the chasm with words wow. so that he can walk across to the other side. So you're just dumping words into the chasm. <laughs> and eventually... You get to, you know, 65,000, 80,000, however long your book's supposed to be. And then you can walk across and then you can, you know, then you can revise and refine it. And that was really, really helpful to visualize it in that way. How about worst advice? Has anyone ever, you know, told you something that you just thought, oh, no, please don't tell anyone else that? I mean, this isn't exactly writing advice, but to especially young women working in publishing, don't listen to male editors who tell you that it's just normal for you to get abusive comments and hate mail all the time and there's nothing they can do about it. Push back against that weird assumption that someone made up because there is something they can do about it. It's not a normal part of your job. So what, what's on your nightstand now? What are you reading? I'm, I'm trying to educate myself for the resistance. <laughs> I just ordered Conflict is Not Abuse, uh, which has been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, I was just going to reread The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Everybody seems... is. I guess it's on the number one on the Amazon list. Now. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It just seems tremendously relevant. And then, yeah, I ordered a bunch of like, I don't, I don't remember the names of them, but like books about the angry white men of America and why they're trying to kill us all. So um, how's the Space Noodle looking this month, Lindy? It, it's a, got great views. Um, there's a rotating <laughs> restaurant at the top. God, I'm so rusty. The Space Needle's cool, though. I wholeheartedly recommend the Space Needle. Lindy West, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me. Lindy West, she's columnist for The Guardian and author of How to Be a Person, The Strangest Guide to College, Sex, Intoxicants, Tacos, and Life Itself, and Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman. They're both now out on paperback. 
The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is a production of NHPR. This episode was produced by Sarah Plord with help from Maureen McMurray. Music in this episode came to us from Ari De Niro. To maintain your levels of writerly wisdom and inspiration, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, on Audio Boom. And look, I know there are zillions of things for you to listen to out there. I've heard the podcast universe or podverse compared to a library where all of the books have just been thrown into a big pile. You don't even know where to begin looking. So we're joining some podcasters with an idea to help people out, a lot of whom don't even get podcasts, or maybe they don't listen or even know how to download one. So you can help change that. Think about somebody that you really care about and what are their interests? What are their hobbies? What do they like to talk about? Then think about a podcast that they might love. Better yet, think of five and tell your friends in person or on social media using the hashtag tripod. So that little pound sign plus T-R-Y-P-O-D. It's the audio equivalent of taking them by the hand to that big pile and finding five great books. And if they don't know how to listen, show them how. I'm Virginia Prescott. Until next time, be writing and be well.